said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. From the Gospel according to John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that has come to light in the midst of a global pandemic is our human captivity to death and blindness. This is normally something very much in the background of human life. We live with death as something which is very unseen. Even now, we see the death totals from COVID-19, but what we do not see is bodies, families, or even much in the way of mourners. All of this has been caused by a microbial virus that travels through the air on respiratory droplets. It can lurk for days on tabletops, unseen. I went to HEB for the yesterday, and for the first time in my life, I've been afraid in the grocery store. I mean, who's going to bump into me? Who's going to touch me? Who's going to breathe on me? How can I avoid this? And I, I was filled with fear right there in the dairy section. But today, we meet a man born blind who is healed by Jesus Christ, who tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. We know that our condition as human beings is that of blindness, both a spiritual and a physical blindness. We suffer from not seeing God as he is, and we suffer from not even seeing the world as it is. I mean, the, the terrifying thing about this whole thing is you can, you can look around and, and, and nothing seems that changed. I mean, the streets are clear and people aren't doing things like they normally would, but, but, but it's not like you can see contagion. Readings today focus us on this essential truth, that we are blind. We read in 1 Samuel the words of the Lord to Samuel the priest, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We say that as we are judging by outward appearances, and indeed that has been the strangest thing about this past week, things seem normal. And yet we know that this has been a major shift in our society, which may seem to still be blind, which some seem to still be blind to. I was even another H-E-B story. I was caught up in a frenzy as H-E-B put out toilet paper, a mad rush ensuing. And I don't know what was on the hearts of those people. Only God does. Were they scared for the future? Were they worried for their families? Were they worried about being out of work? Who knows? God does. To these realities, we are blind. We don't even know our neighbor. We read in the psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. What appears to us to be the valley of the shadow of death, a place of fear, but a place where nonetheless the way forward is clear. You can only go one way in a desolate valley. Backwards or forwards, you will go one way. And the source of that fear is not that you don't know where you're going, but an apparent lack of God's presence, the darkness of not seeing as we should. The valley is a place where those with spiritual insight see the Lord's presence. They see his rod and his staff, the implements of a shepherd, there to guide and defend. David, a shepherd himself, knows the power of being shepherded in the midst of his own blindness. 
He knows the power of having someone with a higher vision or who sees on a higher plane to guard and defend him. And this is what the Lord sees in David. Then we have Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. When anything is exposed by the light, Paul says, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, the Scripture says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul is reminding the Ephesian church that they do not walk in darkness. They are, as all Christians are, light in the Lord. Note he doesn't say, like light. What does he say? You are light in the Lord. And therefore, he issues a warning to them against the works of darkness, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, and foolish talk or crude joking. You and I know that so much of this takes place in the darkness, hidden from view, where no one can see. Paul is saying here that since Christians have been exposed to the light of the gospel, they are not enlightened so much as they are simply light. The sleeper has awoken. The Christian has not only become visible, but has become light. This is, of course, on days like today, rather strange to say. For the first time in my entire Christian life, 40 years long, I'm worshiping on a Sunday with a closed group behind locked doors. Our worship is not open to the public. But we are taking these precautions. We are attempting to do our best to flatten the curve. But there is something which pricks my conscience even now. How can the people who are light live as light to the world when they are isolated, not only from the world, but from each other? What we see in the gospel is an answer to this. A man who is scorned, a man who has been blind from birth, who is seen as just a sinner, the child of sinners, one who cannot work, who cannot worship, who cannot see, But from the beginning, we know that God has chosen him. Jesus testifies about about him that he is to be a means of displaying the works of God. Listen to what Jesus says to him. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We know that the Lord's church is as his body, as his continued presence in the world, the light of the world. But in that day, Jesus being in the world, he is that light. Remember the words from the prologue of John's gospel, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God." The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is replayed throughout John's narrative over and over again in all of the signs. The light, Jesus, comes into the world, comes into someone's life, and in this case comes into the life of a man born blind. Jesus is not merely light to the blind, but light for everyone. He comes to this man and heals him in a bit of a strange way, sending him to the pool of Siloam, this wonderful old pool at the very bottom of the city of David. You have to kind of go to this pool of Siloam first before you go to anything else in Jerusalem. He comes to this man and heals him. 
The Pharisees do not receive him, but the man born blind, having received Jesus, is given the right to become a child of God, a man born of God. And after this, all the Pharisees can say is, are we also blind? And you can sit there and chucker in the middle of the reading and say, yes, you are. But we're told by Jesus that what makes the Pharisees guilty is not that they are blind, because this would be a valid excuse, but that they willingly and deliberately say, I see, when they are inwardly blind. We're supposed to see ourselves in that. We say we see when we're inwardly blind. And at the end of this account, Jesus hears that the Pharisees have cast this man out as if they hadn't cast him out enough already, and Jesus finds him. Even though this man can now see, it must be that Jesus finds him. He cannot find himself even though he now has sight in his eyes. Jesus has to find him. And when he finds him, he asks him this very simple question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a simple enough question, but he doesn't say, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of God? He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's asking him a question, do you believe in the coming of a final prophet? Do you believe in the coming of one who speaks truth, one who is truth itself? And the man, listen, he says, he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then he's not enough simply to say, I believe. Well, thank you for opening my eyes. That was really great. What does he do? He worshipped him. Worshipped him not as some great prophet, but as God himself, the invisible God, visible The revelation of the face of Jesus Christ in the eyes of those who by faith behold Him is not only belief, but it brings worship. What needs to be said on a morning like this is that Christians have a way of seeing that is unintelligible to the world around us. The way of seeing that is faith itself, a way of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and believing that an unseen shepherd is there with us. We can walk in this world of sin as light to the world by God, by the Lord's grace, casting off the works of darkness. We can even see an invisible fellowship among Christians that doesn't seem very apparent at the moment. And on top of that, we can live in this world with this ever-present vision, which cannot be seen by our limited physical vision, the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father making priestly intercession and exercising a ministry over the church as chief bishop and steward and shepherd, continually offering himself to the Father as king of this world, even when it's in immense distress, even when it seems to be failing. Jesus Christ is king, and those who know him by faith will see him in this. That is a vision that is impossible to see in the normal ways of seeing. It must be perceived by faith. And that perception must be grounded in and aided by the interior life of prayer. 
If we had eyes to see, we might see something even in the midst of this terrible crisis. If we could commit ourselves to prayer, commit ourselves to fasting, commit ourselves to seeing and seeing truly, we might see some good in this. I want to submit to you a few things that we might see in the midst of this crisis if we had the eyes of faith, and I believe that we do. The first is that the church is being driven back to the very place where the church was born, in the home. It was when the church was hunkered down behind locked doors for fear of the Jews that the church was born. We are being driven out of our places of worship, out of our temples, to be temples built, as Paul would put it, and as Peter puts it surely, built of living stones, offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord as we labor in this world, even if at a distance. By the perception of faith, we might be seen to be failures. We might, to be, we might be seen to be quitters. We might be seen to be those who have abandoned not only each other, but the faith. But by the perception of faith, we might see that the church is not being harmed by this crisis, but given the greatest opportunity we have perhaps ever had to be neighbors to each other, to pray for one another, to care for one another, and to turn our hearts to the Lord in intercession and worship. Second, in this valley of death, we have the opportunity to come to know in new ways the guide to true sight that is the living presence of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, the Bishop of our souls who will guide us to still waters. Maybe fathers will enjoy more time with their children. Maybe husbands and wives will rekindle their marriages through prayer. Maybe lonely people will experience the Lord's leading in new and unexpected ways. How will this happen? Through the life of prayer. How does it work? By turning our hearts to Jesus in faith. Thirdly, I want to say something to those who are perplexed by this crisis or suffering from a lack of faith or maybe uh, stressed or maybe uh, concerned or maybe feeling deeply the fear of this moment. Maybe you're also feeling attachments or enslavements to sin. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal you, to give you a new way of seeing, a new vision, a way by the Holy Spirit to be transformed. It requires very little of us, in fact. It requires being found by the Lord Jesus in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our suffering. It subsists simply in opening yourself up to divine grace. During this time, I would ask that you would do that, and I would ask that you would pray for me that I would also do that, that we may be all transformed from blindness to faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.